good afternoon. You're listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of the Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us today as he opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Let's turn tonight in the Word of God to the Psalm 106. Uh, what I want to do tonight is I want to, I want to read our text, uh, and that is the verse number 47. And then we'll make some comments, and then uh, as we make our way through the message tonight, I want to read through the entire psalm in, in sections. Uh, I trust that will be a benefit to, to our souls, and therefore the, uh, the points will be clearer as we make our way through the entire psalm. But our text for tonight is the verse number 47, uh, where the psalmist says, Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen, to give thanks unto thy holy name, and to triumph in thy praise. One thing we've learned from our studies, particularly the early studies in the Lord's Prayer, is the biblical imperative to pray for the conversion of sinners. It's a matter that I think is taken for granted in this place, but it is not taken for granted in every circle. There are some who overzealously and misapply the doctrines of grace and especially election. If God is going to save his elect and save those sinners, then why would we pray for that particular matter? But the Lord told us to pray, Hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come and thy will be done. Those opening petitions of the Lord's Prayer are all fulfilled, at least in part, through the salvation of lost souls. God's name is hallowed. It's praised, it's exalted as his saving grace is seen in the salvation of dead sinners. His kingdom comes as rebels bow the knee to Christ. His will is done as the disobedient become obedient by the spirit of grace. And so for praying for these things, we are absolutely praying for the salvation of lost souls. And tonight I want to just simply leave verse 47 with you as a means of giving us some words to those prayers. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen. Words that I believe we can take to your lips tonight and bring to the throne of grace in the place of prayer. And so to begin with, I want to look at the context. Uh, And here I've mentioned I want to look through the entire psalm because the context, I believe, will prove the legitimacy of praying this prayer. Uh, the setting is the enduring mercy of God. Verse 1, praise ye the Lord. O give thanks unto the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endureth forever. It is the abiding mercy of God. You will see the, uh, the word endureth in italics in your authorized version. And so the sense is of the unchanging mercy of God. And yet the word endureth is very helpfully supplied because as you work your way through the verses, you will see that God's mercy endures despite the sins of Israel. And despite their multiple sins, their manifest sins, still God was pleased to be merciful toward them. And so you have the opening Uh, Words of this psalm, then verse number two. Who can utter the mighty acts of the Lord? Who can show forth all his praise? Blessed are they that keep judgment, and he that doeth righteousness at all times. 
Remember me, O Lord, with the favor that thou bearest unto thy people. O visit me with thy salvation, that I may see the good of thy chosen, that I may rejoice in the gladness of thy nation, that I may glory with thine inheritance. Here the psalmist is opening up the, the case, which he will then, he will then uh, put into the plural form in the verse number 47. He's desiring for God to, to intervene. And there is a particular context here that we will see as we go on. But then that enters into a discussion of the history of Israel from, from the time of the Exodus. Look at verse number 6. We have sinned with our fathers. We have committed iniquity. We have done wickedly. And then he repeats the history. Our fathers understood not thy wonders in Egypt. They remembered not the multitude of thy mercies, but provoked him at the sea, even at the Red Sea. And of course here we have in view the people of God. They've been taken out through the miracle of the, of the Passover and the, uh, the, the, the sparing of the firstborns by the shedding of blood. And yet when they get to the Red Sea, there's immediate doubts. They see the sea in front. They see the Egyptian army behind them. And there's doubts and there's, there's concerns and there's a lack of, of faith in God. And at that time, God remembers, remembers his people. Look, verse number 8. Nevertheless, he saved them for his name's sake that he might make his mighty power to be known. He rebuked the Red Sea also, and it was dried up. So he led them through the depths as through the wilderness. And he saved them from the hand of him that hated them, and redeemed them from the hand of the enemy. And the waters covered their enemies. There was not one of them left. They believed, then believed they his words. They sang his praise. And so God intervenes. We have the reason for it in verse number 8. It is for his name's sake. It is for the public display of his mighty power. But as he does so, then the people come to believe his words. Verse 12, they believed his words. That's the response. They see the mighty hand of God again. But verse 13, then they soon forgot his works. They waited not for his counsel, but lusted exceedingly in the wilderness and tempted God in the desert. And he gave them the request, but sent leanness unto their soul they envied Moses also in the camp and Aaron the saint of the Lord. The earth opened and swallowed up Dathan and covered the company of Abiram. And you will remember the, the accounts here of the rebellion uh, that took place at that time. The sons of Korah, they were rebellious against the authority of Moses and Aaron. God vindicated his people. A fire was kindled in their company and the flame burned up the wicked. Verse 18. They made a calf in Horeb and worshipped the molten image. Thus they changed their glory into the similitude of an ox that eateth grass. Here's what idolatry makes us. Idolatry makes us like the, the oxen. And they have changed. And they've changed the glory of God for a lie. And verse 21, they forgot God their saviour, which had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and terrible things by the Red Sea. Therefore he said that he would destroy them. Had not Moses chosen, stood before him in the breach to turn away his wrath, lest he should destroy them. Yea, they despised the pleasant land. Here we're moving on now to the time of the spies. And they're coming and they're looking over the, the land and there's a, a land of plenty and promise. Oh yes, there are giants in the land. Yes, there are difficulties. But it says in verse number 24, they believed not his word. And you see that going back to the verse number 12. In verse number 12, they believed they his words. And now in verse number 24, they believed not his word. There's this backsliding spirit in the people of God. And they murmured in their tents and hearkened not unto the voice of the Lord. And therefore he lifted up 
his hand against them to overthrow them in the wilderness, to overthrow their seed also among the nations and to scatter them in the lands. They joined themselves also unto Baal Peor and ate the sacrifice of the dead. Thus they provoked him to anger with their inventions and the plague broke in upon them. Then stood up Phineas and executed judgment and so the plague was stayed. The account of the man with the woman and Phineas comes and drives them through to execute the justice of God. That was counted unto Phineas for righteousness unto all generations forevermore. They angered him also at the wars of strife. And so there's a, a building up of the litany of the sins of the people. These various events are all coming together to prove the point of the psalmist. God's people were tending continually to falling away, tending to rebellion and backsliding. And yet God's mercy endures. They angered him at the wars of strife at Meribah, so that it went ill with Moses for their sakes. He smote the rock, remember that? But they provoked his spirit, so he spake unadvisedly with his lips. They did not destroy the nations concerning whom the Lord commanded them, another act of sin, but were mingled among the heathen and learned their works. And they served their idols, which were a snare unto them. Yea, they sacrificed their sons and their daughters unto devils, and shed innocent blood, even the blood of their sons and of their daughters, whom they sacrificed unto the idols of Canaan, and the land was polluted with blood. Thus were they defiled with their own works, and went to whoring with their own inventions." It is a summary statement of the, the latter part of the history of the people of God. That there's a mingling with the nations. There's a, a developing of the ungodly idolatry. There's all of these evil practices. And the land is polluted with blood. And verse 40 then brings a conclusion. Therefore was the wrath of the Lord kindled against his people. Insomuch that he abhorred his own inheritance. And he gave them into the hand of the heathen and they... They that hated them ruled over them. We find this, of course, in the time of the, of the judges. There is this continual coming of the heathen to oppress the people of God. Their enemies also oppressed them, and they were brought in subjection under their hands. Many times did he deliver them. And here we have a, a summary verse of the book of Judges. Many times did he deliver them, but they provoked him with their counsel and were brought low for their iniquity. And nevertheless... He regarded their affliction when he heard their cry, and he remembered for them his covenant, and repented according to the multitude of his mercies. He made them also repented of all those that carried them captives. And then it says this, Save us, O Lord our God. So it seems to be a time in the history of the people of God, and the psalmist is contemplating the perpetual backslidings of people. And he comes to this prayer, save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. And then there is the closing benediction that comes to the end of the song, blessed be the Lord God of Israel from everlasting to everlasting and let all the people say amen. Praise ye the Lord. And so what does this teach us, this context of this prayer? How do we draw from the context the proof of the legitimacy of us praying this prayer. Well, by the time you get to verse number 47, I believe we're looking at an unregenerate people. I understand the context that God has brought a people out of Egypt, but most of that multitude did not truly believe in the living God. 
They continually fell into idolatry and backsliding. There was a perpetual turning away from the Lord. And yet the Lord has mercy in his covenant. So in simple terms, we have an unregenerate people, an unconverted people. Who are committing idolatry. Verse number 36. They serve their idols. They do so among the nations. They were mingled among the heathen. And they're under God's wrath. Verse 40. Therefore was the wrath the Lord kindled against his people. But God in covenant is willing to hear prayer for them and intervene. Verse 45. And he remembered for them his covenant. And so the covenant-keeping God is willing to intervene on their behalf. He's willing to regard their affliction, verse 44, and hear their cry. Now, I appreciate there is a definite old covenant context here. The law given through Moses promised national chastisement and national renewal. I understand you read Deuteronomy, particularly the latter chapters of Deuteronomy, and you will see that, that if they turn away from God, then God brings judgment upon them. But I do believe also the application can be made. The prayer is a prayer for God to step in in mercy. It's a prayer for God to turn idolaters into true worshippers. Verse 47, to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. It is a desire for salvation, therefore, because only the converted can truly give thanks unto God's holy name. You think of the unconverted today. How can they be described? They are unregenerate, idolaters, mingled among the heathen under the wrath of God. It's exactly what they are today. They are unregenerate, idolaters, mingled among the heathen under the wrath of God. That, of course, is exactly how God himself describes the nations at this time. We've studied Romans chapter 1 in recent years, and we've thought about how the wrath of God, verse 18, is presently being revealed. Revealed against a world of ungodliness and unrighteousness, as God gives them over. And the sense of God giving the people over is, is here. Verse 41, and he gave them into the hand of the heathen. You turn to First uh, Thessalonians, please, in the chapter 1, in, in Acts chapter 17. We read the account of Paul going to this city, and we read of a great multitude of Greeks coming to faith in Christ. And that company, they're described here in verse number 9. For they themselves show of us what manner of entering in we had unto you, and how you turned to God. From idols to serve the living and true God. There you have it. Here's a a company under the wrath of God. Who through the preaching of the gospel. They turn to God from idols to serve. That is to worship the true and living God. We are living today with unregenerate souls all around us. They are mingled in all the ungodliness of the nations. They're under the wrath of God committing idolatry. And yet there are some who will be saved by virtue of God's unchanging covenantal mercy. As God remembered his covenant and heard the cries for salvation in the time of the, of, of the people of God in the wilderness and following, so God today has a covenant made 
with unregenerate, ungodly sinners. And that covenant is the ground whereby we can expect the salvation of ungodly heathen. You think of what God said to Paul in Acts chapter 18. Paul is in Corinth. He's in a, a wicked and evil place. And he's fearful. He's going to withhold his speech. And God says to him, I am with thee, verse 10 of Acts 18. No man shall set on thee to hurt thee, for I have much people in this city. The prospect of God saving ungodly, unregenerate, heathens, idolaters under the wrath of God, the prospect of God saving those people was that they were God's people by covenant. They had not yet come to saving faith, but they were the people of God. And through the preaching of the gospel, and I say through the prayers of God's people, God was going to draw them into his redeemed community. So we have that encouragement. And so I'm simply saying that there is a a parallel between this Psalm 106 and its old covenant context and what we see in the New Testament, there is a parallel. And therefore the, the context itself does indeed prove the legitimacy of us praying this prayer. The Old Testament prayers are not just for the Old Testament. There's a spirit in the prayers. There's a burden in the prayers. These are prayers of faith, the prayers that, that ought, to, ought to inform our own minds as we would approach God with these words. So having thought about the context, let's look then at the content. And if the context provides the legitimacy of praying the prayer, so the content provides language. The language for praying this prayer, and the, the prayer really speaks for itself. It gives words. Words that would come from our hearts for this church in this area. Note the petitions. Save us. And the word save speaks of rescue, of deliverance. Now, I think in part, this desire for salvation was from the oppression of the enemies. Verse 42, their enemies also oppressed them and they were brought into subjection. But... I don't think that's all that's involved in this idea of being saved. Not only because of the New Testament context of the word saved, but also because of the next petition, gather us from among the heathen. So the idea of being taken out of oppression is included in the second part of the petition, that they would be gathered from among the heathen. So I suggest to you that the, the primary focus of the first prayer, save us, has to do with verse 40. And that sits well with how the word save is used throughout the Bible. Save us from the wrath of the Lord. That the burden of, the burden of prayer that we have for the unregenerate is that they would be saved from the very wrath of God. Of course, the word save, it surely speaks to us of danger. It implies peril. It implies the the need for for rescuing. And of course Paul's prayer for his people in Romans 10 is that they might be saved. There's much we could say from that opening word of verse number 47. It implies sovereignty. Only God can save. It implies man's inability. They need to be saved. And it implies urgency. 
Save now is the idea. You think of the word Hosanna. Save now, we beseech thee. This is the idea of God coming quickly to intervene on the behalf of those under the wrath of God. What an incredibly solemn thing it is to take the name of a loved one upon your lips and pray for God to save them. Because it reminds you that you're, you're conscious that they're under the wrath of God and need to be taken out and rescued and delivered from God's wrath. Of course, the ground of that is the, the, the work of Christ on the cross as he, as he dies to appease the wrath of God. But may we, may we think of the danger of souls. May it increase our burden. There is a prayer to be saved. There's also a prayer to separate. You have it in verse number 47. Gather us from among the heathen. Gather us by delivering us from among the heathen. It's a prayer for separation. Separation is part of the Christian message. Not only are believers separated from their sins, but there is also division from the ungodly. Not isolation. We believe in separation in this place, but we do not believe in isolation. We are in the world. And we're left in the world as regenerate people in answer to the prayers of Christ. We are salt and light in the world, and that involves contact. And yet there is true separation. And these verses show us that the separation is from the ungodly practices of the world. Verse 35, but were mingled among the heathen and listen, and learned their works and they served their idols. Here's the issue of separation. That they be removed from the ungodly influence of the heathen. Ephesians 5 reminds us, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. There is a need for separation. 2 Corinthians 6, come out from among them, be ye separate. And so I think we have the, the right to pray against the carnality of the professed church. Uh, those who are content to name the name of Christ, but not, tempt, but not prepared to separate from ungodliness, we can pray, save and separate. In the third place, we pray to gather. Save us, O Lord our God, and gather us from among the heathen. Here's the idea of gathering. Gathering together. Christ shed his blood for sinners to be gathered. Caiaphas, the high priest, spoke prophetically, unknowingly, but prophetically, that Jesus should die for that nation. And in John eleven fifty two, 52, not for that nation only, but that also he should gather together in one the children of God that were scattered abroad. It's a gathering. A gathering of Jews and Gentiles under Christ. And a gathering of the local church. Acts 4. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together. It's the same word for gather, the same word used for, for gather in John chapter 11. Hebrews 10 also uses the same word and is a, in a fuller form that we are not to forsake the assembling, the gathering of ourselves together. I suppose what I'm asking you to remind yourselves of tonight is that we are praying for full orbed conversion. We're praying for souls to be delivered from the wrath of God, separated from the ungodliness of this world, and gathered together into the company of the redeemed.
It's right to pray, God, bring your people into this place. It's right to pray for a a building numerically of the work of God here. Because you're praying for souls to be converted, to be taken out of the world and brought into the gathered company of the redeemed. It's a simple prayer, isn't it? The petitions are clear, save, separate, gather. And then the purpose, to give thanks unto thy holy name and to triumph in thy praise. Two things. The purpose is for thankfulness for God's mercy and to triumph in God's praise. It is a prayer for idolaters to become worshippers. We're praying for souls to be saved for their good and for God's glory. It is good to give thanks to the Lord. You know, souls are saved and they give thanks unto God's holy name. It indicates that they've come to know themselves and they've come to know God. When you're a giver of thanks, you've, you've come to recognize that you deserve nothing from God and that everything you enjoy is from God. To be a truly thankful person requires conversion. And therefore praying God save them for their good. And of course for God's glory. Because they would triumph in God's praise. The idea is of boasting and glorying in God's praise. It's a a wonderful phrase for worship. That as we would stand in the presence of God, we would glory in the cross. Glory in the mercy of God and triumph in the place of praise. It's amazing how worship is central to true conversion. And yet not practiced by many professing Christians. You know, when you pray for God to save a soul, you're praying for God to make a worshiper. And therefore, it's a strange thing when souls profess to be answers to those prayers to come to know Christ and yet, yet not be worshippers. The Father, John 4, seeketh such to worship him, to worship in spirit and in truth. Philippians chapter 3, who are the true circumcision but those who worship in spirit and in truth? The idea of praising God with joyful reverence is the very purpose of conversion. At least from our perspective, it is that we will become those who praise the name of the Lord. Do it in public, do it in private, do it on the Sunday, do it every other week, do it in the morning, do it in the evening, every part of the day. Every time of the day, to all people, saved and unsaved, there is a heart of worship for the true God. That God is God, and we are his creatures. We've been sinners saved by grace, but all glory goes to his name. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evenings at 7 p.m. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170. That's 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We preach Christ crucified.